Welcome to the Summerton Church of God Sermon Podcast, a podcast to help you find life, freedom, and purpose in Jesus Christ. We're continuing this series on the armor of God. And this is what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6 regarding the armor of God. He said, finally be strong in the Lord, not in yourself, but in the Lord and in his mighty power. Because spiritual battles require spiritual strength. And he says, put on the full. Everybody say full. Put on the full armor of God, every piece of it, so that you can take your stand. And that's our word for 2021, is the word stand. So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle, our warfare is not against flesh and blood, but it's against rulers. It's against the authorities against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, notice it doesn't say if the day of evil comes. It says when the day of evil comes, we've got to be prepared for it. So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, and in addition to all this, take the shield of faith that we talked about last week, a shield that says our trust is in God, not in ourselves. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And then he says in verse 17, take the helmet of salvation. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about the helmet of salvation. Now, it's pretty obvious what the purpose of the helmet was. It's the same purpose of a helmet today. The purpose of the helmet was to protect the head. But when it comes to our spiritual helmet, what is the purpose of our spiritual helmet? It is to protect our minds, to protect our minds from the lies of the enemy. And listen to me, especially the lies that the enemy is trying to get you to believe about your salvation and about my salvation. That's why it's called the helmet of salvation. Listen to me this morning. God wants you to be assured of your salvation. You will never be able to stand against the enemy in the evil day if you are uncertain of your salvation. And here's the good news. You don't have to be uncertain and unsure about your salvation. How many of you know here this morning, you can know that you are saved. You you can know it without any doubt whatsoever. Listen to what Paul says in here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 
Verse 8, he says, since we belong to the day, that is, since we are not a part of the darkness, but we are the light of the world. We're a part of the light. He said, since we belong to the day, he said, let us be sober. Now, that word sober is referring to our minds. Let us think clearly. It's, it's what Peter would have talked about in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, when he said, gird up the loins of your mind. Be, be sober in your mind. Be sober in how you think. Be clear in your thinking. Putting on faith and love as a breastplate. And then he said, the hope of salvation as a helmet. And really you could read it like this, the assurance of salvation as a helmet. And then he goes on and he says in verse nine, for God did not appoint us to suffer wrath. Listen to me, that is not God's plan for your life. God's plan for your life is not for you to end up in hell. God's plan for your life is not to be an object of his wrath. It's not for you to be destroyed. That's not what he's appointed us to. That's not what he's called us to. For he did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation. And I'm going to talk to you here in just a moment about what he means when he talks there about our salvation, because it's so much more than what we think it is. He said, for God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation. In other words, not to die, but to live. Not to spend eternity in hell, but in heaven. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 1 is speaking to a young pastor who's the pastor of the church at Ephesus who is, who is pastoring during a time when culture is very hostile against God, just like the culture that we live in today. And Paul speaks to this young man, this young pastor, to encourage him. And he says, Timothy, in these last days, when all evil is going to be released against the people of God, he said, remember that God has not given you a spirit of fear. Listen to me this morning. You and I, we don't need to be living in fear, especially fear as to where we're going to spend eternity. How many of you remember that little prayer that you were taught to pray when you were a little kid? Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, do you know how scary that is? As a little kid to pray that? If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. In other words, I'm not real sure where I'm going to end up if I die. And there's a lot of people who live with that kind of uncertainty. A lot of people who live with that kind of fear. But Paul says that God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love. And look at this, and of a sound mind. And when you go back and look at that word sound, here's what it means. It means a saved mind. That God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a saved mind. And here's, here's what Paul is telling us this morning. And this is so important. 
that you and I need to start living our lives, that our mindset needs to be, I'm saved and I'm assured of my salvation, rather than my mindset being, I'm not sure where I stand with God. A saved mind, that we start thinking like saved people think. That we start thinking like redeemed people think. Notice what John tells us in John chapter, or first John chapter five. He's written this whole book and then he gets to the end of this book and he tells us why he's written the book. He said, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. He said, I'm writing all of these things to you. Not, not to get you to question your salvation, but that you might know that you have eternal life. And, and let me tell you something about eternal life. Eternal life is not just something that we receive when we die. Eternal life begins the moment that you and I are saved. That's when eternal life begins. And I want you to notice something about the gift of eternal life. Just in case you've missed it, it's eternal. I need to say that again. It's eternal life. Now, we need to understand that there are actually three aspects of our salvation. Let's do just a general run through and then we'll look at them a little bit more closely. First of all, there is the past aspect of our salvation. You've heard me talk about this before, so for many of you, this is just a review. But first of all, there's the past aspect of our salvation. This is what the Bible refers to as justification. And I'll explain that more here in just a moment. But the past aspect of salvation is where you and I are freed from the penalty of sin. The Bible says that the wages of sin, the penalty of sin is what? Death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so justification is that moment that you and I put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and we are then freed from the penalty of sin. We cross over from death now to life. Instead of dying, we will live forever. But then there's a present aspect of salvation. This is what the Bible calls sanctification. This is where you and I have been freed from the power of sin. And we'll talk about that more here in just a moment. But then there is also a future aspect of our salvation. And that's what the Bible refers to as glorification. And this is when you and I are freed from the presence of sin. And I guess what I'm trying to tell you, when it comes to our salvation, we have been saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. And listen, I'm as confident as the future aspect of my salvation as I am the past aspect of my salvation. The apostle Paul said it like this in Philippians chapter one, verse six. He said, for I am certain, I am confident 
You see, this is the confidence that you've got to be able to stand in when the day of evil comes against you. When the, when the enemy is trying to get you to doubt your salvation and when the enemy is trying to discourage you in your journey with the Lord, this is the kind of confidence and certainty and assurance that you need that will help you to continue to stand under that kind of an attack. And he said, for I am certain, I am confident that he who began, that's justification, he who began the good work within you will continue that sanctification, will continue his work until it is finally finished. That's glorification on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Now let's look at these. First of all, let's talk about salvation past. Let's talk about justification. And I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on this point because I talked about it quite a bit when we talked about the shoes of peace. But I am going to say this because I believe that this is very important and I believe that the Holy Spirit put an urgency in my spirit today to do this. There is an element of salvation. There, there is an element in the message of salvation that is missing in a lot of churches today. An element in the message of salvation that you don't hear too many preachers or teachers talking about. You say, well, what is that missing element? And let me tell you something, without this, you cannot be saved. Without this, you cannot be justified. Anybody wanna know what it is? Okay, I'm gonna tell you anyway. It's repentance. It's repentance. When John the Baptist came as a forerunner of Christ Jesus, what was his message? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus, that was his message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter two, and also in Acts chapter 3, told the people that if you want to be saved and your sins forgiven, he said, you've got to first of all, repent. And then listen to what the apostle Paul says in Acts chapter 20, verse 21. He said, I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know what most people preach or teach as the message of the gospel? It starts with having faith in Christ. No, it doesn't. It starts with repentance. It starts with turning to God in repentance. Now, what is repentance? A lot of people say, well, repentance is just changing the way that you act, that it's making a 180 turn in your behavior that the way you used to live, you don't live that way anymore. And listen, that is a result of repentance, but that is not in itself repentance. Let me tell you what repentance is. Repentance is a change of mind. Repentance is a change in the way that you think. That's why Peter in Acts chapter two when there was a group of Jews that were refusing to believe that Jesus was the Messiah, he said, then before you can be saved, you've got to change the way you think about Jesus. 
And you've got to change the way you think about who Jesus is. Because until you believe that he is the Messiah, until you change, have a 180 degree change in the way you think about Jesus. Because listen, repentance and faith are two sides of the same coin. How can you put faith in somebody that you don't believe in? You can't do it. And so he says that you've got to repent. You've got to change the way that you've been thinking about Jesus and who Jesus is. And you've got to receive him as both Lord and Messiah. You've got to receive him as both Lord and Savior of your life. And he said you've got to, you've got to repent. Not only that, he said you've got to change your mind about how you've been thinking about sin. You know that sin is tolerable. Sin is acceptable. That, that sin isn't so bad. That sin is it, it's just a little mistake. No, no, no. You've got to understand that the word sin in the Bible means to absolutely miss the mark. The Bible says this, that all of us have sinned and done what? Fallen short of the glory of God. We have missed the mark. And you and I, we've got to have a completely different mindset when it comes to sin. That sin is destructive. That sin kills. That sin causes people to end up in hell. That sin destroys lives. That sin destroys marriages. That sin destroys communities. You see, our whole mindset about who God is, who Jesus is, what sin is, and the destructiveness of it, it's all got to change to come in line with what the Word of God says about who God is, who Jesus is, and what sin is. So there's a one degree. Will it affect your actions? Yes. But before you can change your behavior, you gotta change the way you think. And that's why Paul said in Romans chapter 12, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. But look at this passage of scripture here in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, because some of you say, I've had people say, well, pastor, I've been hearing that Jesus is going to come back all my life and he still hasn't come back. What's the delay? Let me show you what the delay is. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness, but instead he is patient with us. He doesn't want anyone to perish, but he wants everybody to come to repentance do you know why Jesus has delayed his return to this earth? It's because he's giving us more time to repent. He loves us that much that he's giving people more time to repent and put their faith and trust in Jesus. Well, what happens when we repent and we put our faith and trust in Jesus? Well, that's the moment that you and I are made right in God's sight. We saw it in Romans chapter five, verse one. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, that is justification. Listen, you are not right in God's sight because of who you are. You are not right in God's sight simply because of the decision that you made. You are right in God's sight because you are now in Christ Jesus. You are not perfect. He is, and you are in him. We have peace with God. Look, because, not because of what we did, but because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Paul said it like this. He said, the end result is this. He said, therefore, if anyone is what? 
in Christ. In Christ. What are they? He is a new creation. You need to understand that you're not a better version of the old you when you come to Jesus. No. The old you has died. The old you has passed away. The old you doesn't even exist anymore. You are a brand new creation. Old things have passed away and behold, all things have become brand new. That's the end result of it. And, 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 and how could that happen? Because of what he said a few verses down. In, in, in verse 21, he said, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that what? In him we might become the righteousness of God. We're only righteous. That is, have right standing before God because we're in Christ. Now listen, the moment you put your faith in Jesus, the moment you did that, you were justified. Now I know it's, I know it's hard for you to comprehend this. The standard of getting to heaven is perfection. We're not perfect. That's why we gotta be in somebody who is. That would be Jesus. And, and I know it's hard for you to see. I, I know it's hard for you to comprehend this. But when God looks at you, he doesn't see you. You ain't all that in a bag of chips. He sees Christ. And you and I in Christ. Well, that's the, that's the past aspect of salvation. You have been saved. But then there's this present aspect of salvation called sanctification. And, and listen to what he says in Hebrews 10, 14. I love this passage of scripture. He said, for by one sacrifice, remember in the Old Testament, there were all kinds of sacrifices. The blood of those animals was used as an atonement for the sins of the people. That word atonement meant to cover the sins of the people. But all of those sacrifices in the Old Testament were a type and a foreshadow of the ultimate sacrifice, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who would take away the sins of the world. That no longer would sacrifices be needed after the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And he said, for by one sacrifice, he has made perfect, how long? Some of y'all just can't bring yourself to say it. <laughs> he has made perfect forever. How long is eternal life? Forever. forever. He said, for by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. So positionally, we're perfect before God in Christ. But practically, we're still trying to get our act together. That's why we need the word of God because Jesus said in John 17, 17, sanctify them in truth. Thy word is truth. That's why we need the power of the Holy Spirit working in us to help us be conformed, to help us be, be, be made into the image of Jesus, to be, to be like Jesus. Mm. We're being made holy. So we have been saved. We're being saved. Going back to what he said in Romans chapter five, he said, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. And then he goes on, he says, because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege, which is grace, where we now stand. 
Let me tell you something about your salvation you need to know today. You were saved by grace. And you continue to be saved by grace. Yes, when you get saved, you're going to do works. And there, there's going to be fruit that, 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 that show that you have repented. There, there's going to be evidence that your life has changed. But may I tell you that those good deeds that you do now that you are saved, you're not doing those good deeds to keep you saved. Because we're not saved past tense by our works. And we're not saved present tense by our works. That's why he's brought us to this place to where we now stand in grace. And let me tell you something. He's talking here about the process of us being saved. And he's saying, listen, in that process, you're going to need grace. You're going to need my grace. He said, because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege, which is grace, where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Notice he said, I have been saved in verse one. I'm being saved in verse two. And then he also says in verse two, I'm gonna be saved. But then he says this in verse three. He says, we can rejoice not just over what's going to happen, but we can rejoice on what is happening. He said, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. What's the secret, Paul? What's the secret to having joy when you run into problems and trials? He said, the secret is to know that those problems and trials have a purpose, that they're, they're producing something in you that cannot be produced apart from those things. And he said, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that they help us do what? They develop endurance. And then he goes on and he says, and endurance develops what? Strength of character. Do you know what character is? Character is who you really are. Not who you claim to be. Not who you profess to be. Character is who you really are. And notice what he says. He said that endurance is going to develop strength of character. Now, how do you know Let's take gold, for example. How do you know that gold is genuine? You put it in a fire. And if it can withstand the fire, what, what fire will do is fire will purify the gold. It'll take all the impurities out and just leave what's genuinely gold. And that's what he's saying here. That's, that's the sanctification process in our lives. That God is going to allow problems and God is going to allow trials in your life and mine. Not to destroy us, but to develop us. And, and, and not only that, but I think this is a good test. I really do. As to who is really a genuine believer and who is just a professed believer. Because I'm telling you, when you hit tough times, your real character comes out. That's why James said in James chapter one, count it all joy when you fall and experience all different kinds of trials, knowing that the trying of your faith is gonna produce some things in your life. It's like a tube of toothpaste. Whatever's in the tube of toothpaste, when you put pressure on it, it's coming out. 
And sometimes God allows pressure in our lives because not that he needs to know, but that you and I need to know what kind of care. Are we genuine believers or are we just saying we're believers? Because people who are genuine believers are still standing when the trials have passed. And they're still standing when the problems have passed. Amen? Why? Because they have built their lives solidly on the rock, Jesus Christ. So that they are able to endure. Those, listen to me, those are the real believers. Those are the real Christians, not folks. Here's what Paul told Timothy. Oh man, I'm telling you what, I have a hard time. I have a hard time staying on time on Sunday morning preaching these sermons. My goodness, I could go all day long. That's why Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, he said, you've got to be a good soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what does a good soldier do? He says, a good soldier endures hardship. You don't go AWOL when things get tough. You don't go AWOL at the first hint of pain. Genuine believers, their endurance is built, which produces character. And then notice what he says. He said that that strength of character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. In other words, when I withstand all that comes against me, and I have been proven to be a child of God, it just gives me that much more hope that what he's promised will happen is going to happen for me. Amen. But hang on. Romans, Romans chapter 6, he said this. He said, now, but here's what you got to do. He says, you've got to count. You've got to consider yourselves. When you come to Christ, you've got to consider yourselves dead to sin. Dead to sin, but alive in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on. Paul said it like this. I have been crucified with Christ. Galatians chapter 2 verse 2. I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And then he goes on in verse 12 and says, Therefore, do not let. This, this is his instruction to us. Because too many times we let. He said, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies. Like a dethroned king, when you come to Jesus, you've got to dethrone sin in your life so that you will not continue to obey its evil desires. He said, do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness. Because when you come to Jesus, you don't do that anymore. You don't keep giving yourselves to sin because now you think right about sin and what sin can do to you. He said, don't offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. That excuse, well, the devil made me do it, don't work anymore. 
You're not under the law anymore. All the law did was to point out and to reveal what sin is, but the law could not give you any power to overcome sin. You're not under the law anymore. You are under grace and under grace, you have all the power, you have all the strength, you have all the resources you need to say no to sin. And listen to me, I know that the devil has convinced you that you can't resist sin. I know that the devil has convinced you that sin has more power than you know. Jesus broke the power of sin at the cross, amen. And the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ lives on the inside of you. And I am convinced that God is able to do exceeding abundantly and above all that we ask or imagine according to the power that works in us. Oh, somebody ought to give God a praise in the house today. Hallelujah. Yes. Yes, you can. You have the power to say no. Listen. If you sin as a believer, it's because you want to. It's that simple. Now, am I saying that it's easy, that sin is not a struggle? Absolutely. As long as we're here on this earth, sin can be a struggle. But it doesn't have to be your master. Mm -mm. So he says, not only salvation past, we've been justified and we're being sanctified. But a third aspect of this salvation is we're going to be glorified. One day. Remember what Paul said, for I'm confident that he who began a good work. You need to understand that the work of salvation is a work God is doing. All you've got to do is let him. It's not up to you to do the work. God's doing the work. You just need to be obedient to the work that God wants to do. When it comes to our future salvation, Paul said that he who began a good work is going to continue it until it is finished at the day of Christ. Now, this is a real tension that we live in because it's like an already not yet. Because it's already happened as far as God is concerned, because he's promised that it was going to happen. So it's an already not yet. We have not yet seen a full manifestation. We haven't seen a full manifestation of that salvation. Now it looks like we've lost the screen. Well, we're back. Praise the Lord. That was quick. Listen to what 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 says, and we're about to wind it down here, so just hang with me. I've only been going about 30 minutes or so. I know it may seem longer sometimes, but it hadn't been. <laughs> Dear friends, now, everybody say now. now. Now we are children of God. Every day you get up, you need to look yourself in the mirror and say, now I'm a child of God. <laughs> now, right now. I ain't, I'm not completely perfect in my practice yet, but I'm, I'm still, I'm a child of God. Now, we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. Everything about eternity, there's still some things that are unclear to us. Some things we won't know until we get to heaven. But there are some things we do know. Paul said one of those things that we do know, but we know that when Christ appears, 
that we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And what he's saying is that the work that started at justification is going to be complete when Jesus comes back. Because what is the goal of the Father? To conform every one of us to the image of Christ. To be just like Jesus, without spot, without blemish. Not having these old temporary bodies, but having eternal bodies. And that's what he's trying to say to us here. That when he comes, when he appears, we shall be just like him. In other words, then this whole process of salvation is going to be complete. For we shall see him as he is. Is. That's why Paul said in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, he said, I consider that the sufferings of this present time, that they are not worth being compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. Mm, hallelujah. And then after he says that a couple of verses later, he says that all of creation, all of creation, animals, trees, everything, all of creation, he said, is groaning like a woman in travail, like a woman that is about to give birth to something. And you know what they're groaning? You know what they're waiting for? They're waiting for the ultimate redemption of us as sons and daughters of God. Why? Because they know that until that happens, everything else will not be put back perfect. That is that the curse on all the rest of creation will not be lifted. I'm telling you there's coming a day when the lion is going to lay with a lamb and there's coming a day when you're going to be able to pick up a viper and that viper is not even going to hurt you and all of creation knows that things are not going to get back to that point until the consummation of the salvation of the sons and daughters of God and then he goes on and he says this he said we too he said we're groaning ourselves he said because we're waiting with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies that he has promised us. Oh my goodness. I know you can't see it yet, but God has already seen me in my glorified body because Romans chapter eight also says that he called us to be conformed to the image of Christ and those that he called, he also justified and those that he justified, he has already, he also glorified. Hallelujah. It's as good as already happened in God's eyes. <laughs> and what he started, he's going to fix new, new bodies. That's why Paul said in second, oh Lord, help me, Jesus. That's why Paul said in second Corinthians chapter five, he said, we know that when this earthly house, this earthly tent that we live in, when this earthly tent, this earthly house, this earthly body, this temporary body, he said, when it's been destroyed, he said, we have a house from God, an eternal house in heaven, not made by human hands. That's why Paul said in first Corinthians chapter 15, verses 44 through 46, he said the same body that goes into the ground, he said that's not the body that's gonna come out of the ground. You've heard me say it before. He said it goes into the ground, a perishable body, but it's coming out of the ground, an imperishable body. He said it goes into the ground in weakness, but it's gonna come out of the ground in power. It goes into the ground in dishonor, but it's coming out of the ground in glory. It goes into the ground, a natural body, but it's coming out of the ground, a spiritual body. Hallelujah. Yes. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. 
the new body that he's promised us. That, that's why Paul in 2 Thessalonians chapter four said, brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant about what's happened to those who died in Christ. And he says this, mother, Karen, anybody else that's lost somebody close to you lately? He said, I don't want you to be ignorant about those who died in Christ. Nor, he says, do I want you to mourn like somebody that doesn't have any hope. You may mourn, but you don't mourn like somebody who doesn't have any hope, like I'm never gonna see him again. Well, you, you won't ever see him again like that. And then he goes on and he says this, for the Lord himself is gonna descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet sound of God. And who's gonna go first? The dead in Christ are gonna rise first. Well, what about us that are still alive when it happens? Well, we that are alive and remain, we're gonna be caught up together with them to meet Jesus in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Hallelujah. So he said, therefore, he said, therefore, comfort one another. Encourage one another with these words. Second Corinthians 4, 8, and 9. Paul said, we're pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. He said, we're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're not abandoned. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. What was it that gave him that kind of perseverance? He tells us the very next verse, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us up with Jesus and present us with you to himself. Why do I endure everything Paul says? And I keep going, I keep serving, because I know this ain't the end, that the best is yet to come. And then we keep losing the signal. But then he says this, you go back to 2 Thessalonians. And he says that this day of salvation, he said, he said that, that we need to wake up from our slumber. He said, you need to wake up from your sleep. Wake up. Because he said this day of salvation that we're talking about, when Jesus is going to come back and there will be the consummation of our redemption, he said this day of salvation is nearer Listen to me, then when you first believed. I'm telling you, Jesus is coming soon. He's coming soon. It's nearer than when you first believed. It's nearer than you think. 
And the question is, are you ready? Are you ready? If not, today would be a wonderful opportunity for you to repent. Now that you have a full understanding of our salvation, today would be a wonderful day for you to repent, to turn to God, to repent, and to put your faith in Jesus. And the moment that you do that, you will be put into right standing with God. But then you've got to submit to his continual work in your life. You've got to let God, because this is a work God is doing, so you've got to let God do his work his way. You've got to let him sanctify you. Help you be conformed to the image to become more like Jesus with the hope. And listen, he, he went on in, in Romans chapter 8 and he said, you know, you don't hope for something you already have. So it's not just the past and the present, but we're talking about the hope, the helmet, the hope of salvation. And what that means is that you don't even have to hope for the future aspect of salvation. Why? Because God's already promised you it's gonna happen. But you do need to, with perseverance and confidence, wait. Wait for it. With every head bowed and every eye closed, no one looking around, if there's anybody here this morning that would say, yes, pastor, today, I know that Jesus is coming soon. I see all the signs in our culture lining up. Things are lining up for the return of Jesus Christ. And I'm ready today to surrender my life to him. I repent. I've always thought that God didn't like me. I've always thought that God didn't love me. I've always thought that God didn't want to have anything to do with me. But today I repent of those thoughts that I've had about God. And I realize now that God does love me and that God has already accepted me. I've just not accepted him. But today I'm ready to accept him. And today I repent of my sin that I see how destructive sin is. I, I see that it was sin that put Jesus on a cross. And today, Lord, I put my faith and my trust in you. Is there anybody that wants to do that this morning? Let me see your hand. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Bless you. Bless you. One, two, three, four, five. Anybody else? Anybody else? Get those hands up. Get those hands up. Six, six, se seven, eight. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hands that are going up today. Hallelujah. Listen, here's what I want you to do. I want everybody to pray this prayer with me. But those of you that lifted up your hand in particular, I want you to pray this. Now listen, I don't want you just to repeat what I'm saying. But I want you to, I want you to believe what you're saying. I want you to believe it sincerely in your heart. Because if you don't believe it, then it's to no avail. You've got to believe it sincerely in your heart. So I want you to say this, say, Lord Jesus, I believe, Lord Jesus, I believe. with all my heart, all my heart. That, you that you are God. I believe that you came here to this earth, this earth. As, Jesus. as Jesus, that you lived a perfect, sinless life, that you died on the cross for my sins. 
that you were buried in a tomb, but that you came back to life on Easter. And that you are alive today, seated at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. Lord Jesus, you said that if I believe these things sincerely in my heart and would confess them with my mouth, that I would be saved. And Lord, you said that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I'm calling on you, Jesus. Save me. Save me. Save me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, let's rejoice. Let's rejoice with those in heaven. Let's rejoice with those in heaven that are rejoicing today over those who've come to know Jesus. Now listen, if you just prayed that prayer with me this morning, I want you to come tell me after the service today. You need to tell somebody that you've made this decision. And then I wanna make sure that we get you some information. I wanna make sure that we get you plugged in so that you can now grow in this relationship with Jesus. Let me, let me just show you this one thing before you go today because those of you that just prayed this prayer, you need to know this. You also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. He said, when you believed, you were marked. Oh, there's several of you today, the day you believed, you were marked. And you were marked in Christ with a seal. And do you know what that seal is? The Holy Spirit. And do you know what the seal means? It's a sign of ownership. You don't belong to yourself anymore. You belong to God. He owns you. He has his mark, his Holy Spirit on you, marks you as his very own. But, but then notice what he says, who is also a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit that has been deposited into your life today, that's just a down payment that better things are ahead and greater things are ahead. The Holy Spirit is a guarantee that what God started today, he will continue it until he finishes it at the day of Christ. Oh, hallelujah, somebody rejoice in that. Rejoice in that, amen. The Lord bless you. Thank you for staying with me today. I love you, Summit and Church of God. Let's go be light and shine bright, make things brighter. Let's go be salt and make things better for the glory of God, transforming this community. Amen. Well, I hope that you were blessed and inspired by today's message. We here at Summit and Church of God believe that God is a God who still does miracles. And we're seeing it on a weekly basis people's lives being transformed by the power of God, being saved, healed, and delivered for the glory of God. And we want you to experience for yourself. So why don't you come and be our guest one Sunday here at Summerton Church of God. I look forward to personally meeting you.